Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's Word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. Amen, amen. Thank you, Julie. It's great to be with you again today. And let me just tell you, it feels great to feel good. And it's positive to be negative. Amen. So um, for the first time in life, it's positive to be negative. So glad that you're here with us. Got a couple of key announcements I want you to listen up for online and in this room. Next Sunday, we will move the service back 30 minutes, back 30 minutes to 10 a.m. And uh, we're going to we think that's a better time. Also, kids, next Sunday, children's worship returns for K through five. K through fifth grade, we're going to have children's worship for the entire hour. Upstairs, second floor, parents, take them up there before the service. Uh, Jonathan and Greg will be up there to make sure that you're checked in. It's going to be a great time for you kids. It's been designed specifically for you. We've worked on this for quite a while, and next week we're doing it. So uh, bring a mask, and uh, we're going to socially distance, but have a great time for you kids upstairs next week, 10 a.m., and uh, senior adults, your Bible study is going to move to 1130. I hope that's okay. Um, so that that's how we're going to move forward. We're very excited about the fall and uh, what God is going to do among us, because that's what it's all about, isn't it? We continue a series, as Julie said, called Compelled by Love. When we think of why we do what we do, we have to ask the question, is it out of duty is it because we're doing it for money? Is it we're doing for fame? Or is we, are we doing it because Jesus loves us? And that's what we've been talking about for the last several weeks. And today, the title of the message is Compelled by Love, the Love That Avenges Me, as Julie touched on. I want to start today with a psalm, and I want you to listen to the psalmist and his heart cry in Psalm chapter 3 beginning in verse 1. Listen to the psalmist as he pours out his heart to God. He says this, O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, you are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, and save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Would you pray with me? Lord, we confess today that we are vulnerable to being hurt. And we're vulnerable to the feelings that go with that. Lord, help us today to see you you as our Savior. Lord, you, Jesus, as the one who lifts our head when, it's, when we're cast down. You are Jesus who defeats our enemies so that we don't have to. 
Lord, for those who are hurting today, may this be a healing balm in their soul. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You know, people are irritating, amen? Nobody in this room are watching online right now, but some people are really irritating. Uh, having dinner the other night, great time, Longhorn, it's wonderful, great company, my wife. It was kind of our celebration uh, for overcoming COVID, and so we were having a great meal with a great server, incidentally, and uh, so we're walking out, and we hadn't quite got our masks in position, and so people just happened to walk by us, and this guy said, oh, we'll hold our breath for you. So I decked him. One shot underneath the chin, he went down like a ton of bricks. It was unbelievable. I stood over him. I sneered at him until I heard the sirens. Went out to the car, put a piece of cardboard over the license plate, and drove off. No, I didn't. No, that didn't happen, okay? Didn't happen at all. I wasn't about to have a beautiful evening destroyed by some unthinking person. Let's put it that way. But you know what happens, doesn't it? You get honked at, you honk back. And maybe you supply some verbiage or some hand signals to go with it. You feel like you have to, don't you? You have to do that because you're not going to be wronged. I'm not going to let someone get something over on me, by golly. I'm going at them, and I'm going to solve this, and I'm going to get even. Really? It's in us. It's in us. It's kind of a natural response, which is natural responses are often not good responses. How do we deal with this? How do we deal with this issue? I love Henry Cloud's book, uh, Necessary Endings. If you haven't read it, you should. Uh, excellent book on how to understand how people think and how they function. And uh, Henry says that there are three types of people, basically. The wise, the foolish, and the evil. The wise people you can easily get along with. You tell them something, they get it, they respond, they change, they grow, right? This is kind of the ideal student, right? The ideal employee. The foolish people require a little more management, if you will. They can get it, they can be managed, but they require deadlines, guidelines, boundaries, accountability all the time. They're just foolish. They kind of go back to their ways unless you really stay after them. But they can be managed. But the evil, the evil people want to hurt you. They wake up thinking, how can I hurt this person? They're just evil. And Cloud says, what you have to do is understand that's how they're going to be. You can't defeat them. You can't get even with them. You just need to minimize the damage. And it really depends on how you're related to that person, if you just need to get away from them or how severe the evil is. But his point is, you can't really beat evil. You really just need to get away from it or minimize the damage. What does Scripture say about this issue? Does Jesus love us enough to deal with those who hurt us? Does Jesus love us enough to deal with those who hurt us? Our main text today is Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. 
And if you're familiar with Romans, you know that Romans is the systematic theology, if you will, of salvation, right? Romans talks about the human state and how sinful we really all are. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Even the people in this room today, I know it's hard to believe, but all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He talks about the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. And he gives us this 11 chapters of how to be saved and the theology of that, how that all works. And then in chapter 12, chapter 12, he turns to, okay, this is how you ought to live. See, in light of all that God has done, that we didn't earn, that we didn't deserve, that we really doesn't make sense to us, but it's the greatness of God, His grace, how do we then live? Romans 12.1, he gets into that through the end of the book. He says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Start here because this is the banner for how we are to live. And the whole rest of the book is based on these two verses. And we could spend a couple of hours on them if you'd like to. We can get coffee and do that later. But I want you to see, in order for me to live the life that is appropriate in response to all God has done, I have to give my life as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Understand the image of that. God said there had to be a sacrifice for sin, so he sent his perfect son, Jesus Christ, to sacrifice himself and die on a cross. He says to us, you need to be a living sacrifice, meaning you've given all control over to Jesus Christ. All control over Jesus Christ. And when you do that, we say, here's my life. You do whatever you want with it. I'm good. Open hands. We talk about that a lot, right? When you come to Jesus, Jesus, I just come with open hands. I want you to do with me what you want, put into my life what you want to put in, take out what you want to take out. And then as a result, what does he say? Instead of being conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I don't know about you, but if you watch the news, I don't want to be conformed to this world. Amen? I don't want to live like that. I don't want to live with this constant sense of anger and strife and and horrible things people are doing. I don't want to live like that. God, I want to live differently. I want to be transformed by you. I want to be transformed. I want my mind to be renewed. I don't want to think like I used to think. I don't want to think like the world thinks. I want to think like you, Jesus. Now watch what he says happens. He says, you will be able to discern what the will of God is what is good and acceptable and perfect. Have you ever asked that question? God, what's your will for me? I need to know whether I should do this or that, or whether I should go this way or that way, whether I should be with this person or that person. I should take this job or that job. I should act this way or that way. How should I handle this situation? What's your will? Let me just tell you, you're never going to know the will of God until your life is a living sacrifice. You're never going to know the will of God until your life is a living sacrifice. 
practically speaking, when you say to God, I'm going to live this way, even though I know your word says live that way, you're never going to know the will of God. It's not going to happen. You can't say to him, I'm going to hold back this part of me, but I want to know what your will is for that part of me. You're never going to know. You're on your own. You've said, God, I don't like what you might do in my life in this area. I want to live a lifestyle that's like this or a lifestyle that's like that, even though I know that it's against your word. Listen, you're never going to know God's best for you. I, one of my thoughts about heaven, and we'll talk about heaven next Sunday, is when we get there, I feel like we're going to see all that we could have had if we'd have been a living sacrifice or all that we could have had if we had just asked. I don't want to miss what God wants to give us. I want exactly what he wants. But you're going to have to let go of some stuff to get there. Don't miss what God wants to give you. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. Then the next section of Scripture talks about the fact that when you're living as a living sacrifice, you have a role in the mission of Christ. You have a role. And he talks about the gifts, and he talks about where we fit into God's kingdom and, and how no one can do it alone. Amen? You might be good at a lot of areas of ministry, but you can't, you can't be his church by yourself. You have to fit in and be transformed and fit into what he wants of you. Some people are great teachers, some people are great administrators, some people are great leaders, some people have a great gift of service. You have to find where that fit is. And then the next section, he talks about authentic love. We need to love each other authentically and to abhor evil, to hate evil, not embrace evil. I want to love each other authentically. And then he gets to the point that I want to get to today, and I want to camp here in verse 14 and following. As we deal with evil. Okay, we're a living sacrifice. We're a living sacrifice. God, do with me whatever you want. How do I respond to those who hurt me? And it could be a severe hurt in a relationship. could be a physical hurt. could be an abuse situation. Or it could just be people who are just irritating. And they do it on purpose. Because they want to get something over on you. How do we deal with people who hurt us? Verse 14, Paul says this to the Romans. Hold on to your chair, because some of you are not going to like this. But I want you to hear it as a word from God. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. First verse is a killer, isn't it? Bless those who persecute you. And that word persecute means to hurt emotionally or physically. Bless those and do not curse them. It's really hard, isn't it? They deserve to be cursed. I want the worst for them. I want the worst for my enemies. God, zap them. Go get them right now. Don't give them another opportunity. They don't deserve your grace. Wait a minute. I think I receive grace. Maybe, maybe I should want grace for them. See, here's the call that he's saying. To bless someone who persecute you 
persecute you is to say, I want for them what I've received for myself. See, that's loving your neighbor as yourself. To say, I want for them what I've received because you're dealing with a lot of people right now that you may disagree with. And maybe they're wrong, maybe they're misguided. Do you want forgiveness for them? Maybe they're flat out evil. Do you want them to receive the price that Jesus paid for you? Do you want that for them? Or you just want to curse them? Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Verse 15. Again, we're in the context of those who are evil and who are hurting. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Wait now. So I'm supposed to rejoice with my pagan neighbor who plays his music too loud, who lets his dog do his business on my yard, who just causes problems all the time and is nasty to me. But when he, they have a new baby, I should rejoice with them? Yes. Yes. You know, we rejoice with people and celebrate with people if you can. Not if they're doing evil, but rejoice with those who are rejoicing. Weep with them when they lose something, when something bad. Care about people. Have empathy for people. You may not agree with them, but you can at least say, I care that you're hurting. Something so needed in our culture today. You may not agree with what everyone is saying about an issue, but do you can at least care that there's pain? Amen? You can at least care that there's pain. I'm sorry that you're hurting. Verse 16. Live in harmony with one another unless they're really irritating. No, that's not what it says. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. You know, sometimes I've seen people who claim to be followers of Christ just irritate the fire out of everybody around them. Have you seen that? They just, little digs and maybe little judgmental phrases, maybe little things that just cause people to just hate them. That's not a follower of Christ. A follower of Christ says, I want to live in harmony with you as best I can. I don't want to be haughty as Christians can be this way. You know what? I am so godly because Jesus saved me. I don't know what happened to you, but I'm so much better than you. It's a shame that you're not as good as me. Oh, it should never be. I'm not any better than anyone else other than that Jesus saved me. It's his activity in my life, not that Steve's such a good guy. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate. One of the great ways to stay humble is to be around those who are struggling. The humble, the lowly. That's why Jesus hung out with these people who were so far from him. I love the last phrase, never be wise in your own sight. 1982, Buckminster Fuller wrote a book. And uh, the book postulated or theorized that the um, the amount of human knowledge doubled in the first 1,500 years from and through 1,500. It doubled in that time. But then uh, the next time the amount of human knowledge that existed accumulated in the world doubled was 250 years, and then 150 years. And today people believe or theorize that the amount of human knowledge doubles every one to two years, and some people think only in a few hours. And most of that information is available on your phone. There is an incredible amount of information out there, and that leads to this 
being wise in our own sight. What's the answer? Well, it says right here, this. And we we become a people who read headlines and not articles. We take statistics rather than looking at studies. And we try to be wise in our own sight. And you almost feel dumb if you don't have the answer. Well, you can get it right here if you just try it. When we're wise in our own sight, we're missing what God wants to do, and we're bound to be prideful. You see, a prideful heart can never portray Jesus accurately. A prideful heart can never portray Jesus accurately. If you're struggling to reach someone, first place you got to look, is my heart yours, Lord? Or is it saying, I'm so good, I'm so smart, you're so dumb? Deal with your heart first. Verse 17 He says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Paul recognizes there are some people you're just going to have to get some distance from. He's not saying that you need to subject yourself to continual abuse. He's not saying that you need to put yourself in danger. He's saying, if possible, live peaceably with those around you. Now, there is a role of the military, the government, and the police, amen? That's a different story. That's the government's role. It's not your role. You're not to be a vigilante. Live peaceably to the degree that you can. Understand that there is necessary wars. The police are necessary. We need to trust the government to deal with criminals. But as far as you're concerned, in your personal life, live at peace with, uh, with everyone as much as possible. Because, verse 19, beloved, when Paul says beloved, it's like he's putting his arm around you. You know, like dads do sometimes. Put your arm around you. Look, son, I want you to hear this. As a matter of fact, I'm going to hold you so you don't run away. So you do hear this, right? You ever have your dad? My dad used to do that. He'd get you and he'd kind of hold your other shoulder and you're like, okay, I want to tell you something. I want you to get this. That's what Paul's saying. Beloved. I care about you. I love you. I want you to get this. Never avenge yourself. But leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. You see, our role is to deliver the good news of Jesus. His role will ultimately be to punish evil. You don't have to get even. Your role is not to go out there and fix them, straighten them out, solve the problem, make sure that they get theirs, make sure that you're not. No, that's God's role. See, Jesus is on the cross saying what? Forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they're doing. This is Stephen as he's being stoned in Acts chapter 7 and 8 where he's saying, don't charge them with this sin. Don't charge them with this. Never avenge yourself, because when you do, you're getting in God's way. When you do, you're getting in God's way. He says, leave it to the wrath of God, or some versions say, leave room for the wrath of God. Don't you go out there and get in God's way. God is going to deal with that evil at the appropriate time. 
When we go out there and start avenging ourselves, we, we kind of make it harder for God to do what he needs to do in that life. Never avenge yourself, but leave it to God. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Our role is to connect people to Jesus and the price that he paid for evil. But for those who refuse to receive the gift of salvation, the grace of Jesus Christ, there is an ultimate punishment. Say, well, Steve, what is that? Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. I just want us to take a look and get an understanding of what it means when God says, I will avenge, I will bring vengeance. Verse 10, chapter 20 says, And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire, sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And then I saw a great throne, and him who was seated on it, from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead and were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And then chapter 21, verse 8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexual, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. The same Bible that says God is love says that Jesus will one day judge evil and deal with it permanently. It's horrible. Let me just tell you, it's awful. It's terrible. It's irrevocable. You can't come back from this. It's amazing how many people are terrified of COVID, but they laugh about hell. Amen? People say, you know what, I, heaven don't want me and hell's afraid I'm going to take over. No, no. Heaven does want you if you'll repent. Hell's not afraid of you at all. This is serious business. 90% of people recover from COVID. Praise God, Julie and I had a mild case. We're grateful. Some people do die. No one comes back from hell. No one. No one. No one. See, Jesus paid a price so that I don't have to go to hell. Jesus paid the price so that I get to spend eternity with him. Not only is hell going to be a bad torment, but the worst part about hell to me is what you're missing in heaven with Jesus Christ and the perfect life that you could have. That's why when someone commits evil against you, you need to understand that what you're acting like is someone who is bound for the lake of fire. It should break your heart, first of all. Because you know you deserve hell as well. But the sweet Jesus, who paid the price for you, saved you from that. We don't think about this enough. There's nothing you can do to someone, nothing you can do to someone that would be nearly as bad as what God's going to do to the unrepentant. 
It is an act of love. It's an act of love toward us whom he has saved to punish evil. The end of this chapter, verses 20 and 21, Paul sums it up and he says this, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, instead of seeking vengeance, to the con- if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. And this is a kind of an odd picture for us. Heap burning coals on their head? Sounds kind of interesting. Um, here's what he's saying. If you care for your enemy, you're giving them the option, the opportunity to respond to you and repent of their sin. But if they don't, they're building up more wrath for themselves to come. That's the picture. And that verse 21 is glorious. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You see, our role is to give people release and to get them get their sin paid for. That's our role, to give people grace, to connect them to Jesus. That's how we overcome evil, by giving them the option to be saved, by representing him well, by not being prideful. But saying, I, I want you to receive what I have. Living a life that says that before you even say it in reality. We overcome evil with good by living a life that is filled with the grace of Jesus Christ for those around us. That's how we overcome evil with good. You see, Jesus will deal with evil, ultimately. Our role is to overcome evil with good. That's our role. Your role is not vengeance. Your role is a sweet, peaceable person who wants to help people know Jesus. But some are overcome with evil. Some of you, maybe today, watching online or here present, you maybe you just cannot let go of the desire to get back at someone who's genuinely hurt you. You just can't let go of that. They deserve it. And every chance you get, you get back at them. Let me just tell you, there's never going to be any peace in that. There's never going to be any joy in that. You're never going to know God's will in that. In fact, Matthew chapter 18 deals with the unrepentant servant. I, I encourage you to read that parable because at the end, the guy was, was forgiven of millions of dollars of debt and he wouldn't forgive someone else of a few thousand dollars. And Jesus said, turn him over to the tormentors. See, when we hold a grudge, when we refuse to forgive, when we try to get even, we are tormented. I don't want that for any of you. The beauty of God's word, the incredible grace and love of Jesus Christ is that he paid the price for my evil and everyone else's evil that will respond. And I don't have to get back at people. I am free of that responsibility. It's not my role. Jesus will deal with it. I'm going to ask you today, have you been hurt? Are you hurting? Is there just a constant source of hurt in your life? I want you to know the release 
of Jesus Christ from having to get even with that person or those people. It's available. It's as simple as saying, Jesus, would you forgive me of the sin of wanting to get vengeance? Because I want to trust you to deal with that. And I want to be a conduit of grace to people. It's that simple. It's hard, though. Honestly, we want to hold on to that. I have a right. I have every right to be mad. And you can. You can be mad the rest of your life if you want to be. But you're going to be miserable and you're going to miss God's best for you. Some of you might be able to say today, you know, Steve, I, I don't know that I've ever received grace for my evil. I keep trying to do good things. I keep trying to be better. But I, I don't know that I've ever said, Jesus, I can't be good. I need for your price that you paid on the cross to count for me. That's what I need. I don't think I've ever, I may have thought, but I don't feel the grace. Today, would you ask him, say, Jesus, would you forgive me of my sin? Everyone else's sin irritates me to death because it's just like me. It reminds me of my own sin. Would you repent of that sin today and ask Jesus to come into your life and to live through you, and to give you the joy-filled life that comes with the Holy Spirit. Would you do that today? Let's pray. Would you bow with me? Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to our website at fbcdelray.com. Also, click the share button so you can share this message with a friend or someone in need as we seek to know Jesus, to know others, and to make him known. We cry out, we cry out.